Good morning. It is good to be with you in the house of the Lord. Today is a day that, in a great many places, whether for scorn, whether for tradition, both idle and real, whether for any number of reasons, there are many people who are speaking about Jesus and what he did. Amen. We should be glad about that. Amen. Whether they realize it or not, whether they're doing it for uh, God or for scorn or for idle tradition, he, they are repeating those words that were given to us long ago. Some of them, from the very dawn of time, given uh, we don't exactly know all the details of how Moses ended up having all the information from the Genesis, but that was how it began. I would like to circle back to that at some point here. This morning, we got to hear two excellent messages. As the brother said, last night when I was preparing for this, I had about four different scriptures I wanted to look at, and they used two of them this morning. I'm going to pretend like that didn't happen, and those of you who are there, I hope will appreciate the way that God works, because there is an unending amount of information and um, resources to go to when considering the subject matter at hand, which is, I suppose, what is the resurrection? I'd like to look to the Lord in prayer, if no one minds. Our Father, Lord, we desperately need you. We ask you that you would be with us today as we open your word, as we break this bread, this spiritual bread, that you might bless the going out here in this place. In Jesus' name. Jesus, as is widely known as being possibly the most influential event in all of history, died. But that wasn't the part that made it so important. We'll get to the details later, but I'd like to look with you this morning at John chapter 10. I'm going to read to you a parable and largely ignore the parable, but look at what he concludes with. In John chapter 10, starting in verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves, robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is in a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. I'd like you to consider that last statement and the grand nature of it. Elder Chuck was saying this morning that it takes all of our strength just to stay alive. But Jesus is saying he has power to lay down his life and to take it back up again. That's a significant point to bear in mind. 
Whence comes this father? When, I'm sorry, when comes this power? It comes as the commandment of his father. And yet, he had done this a long, long, long time ago. I'd like to look for a moment in Ephesians, and you can hold this spot because I would like to return to it. But in Ephesians chapter 1, and Paul giving the introduction about God himself, starting in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before the beginning, he had chosen us in him. He is also referred to as the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. So there was in the beginning, and then there was before the beginning. And if you've ever tried to build anything, you know that the first thing laid down is the most important. Wisdom, it said, was there, the very beginning and foundations of the world. And so likewise, the slaying of God, his only son, happened before ever a single atom was brought into being. And more than that, I think for our case individually, he had chosen us before that. The Bible says that if Christ is not resurrected, we are, of all men, most miserable. For a great number of reasons. But not the least of which is because to say that God has chosen you before time has significantly less value if Christ is not raised. Christ is not raised you don't necessarily have the proof you might have had. Matter of fact, there's a great number of ways he provides proof in the end of Matthew after Christ is raised. There was even some people, there's a single verse on this, that rose up from the dead in that day, a form of first fruits, proof of the resurrection that we look forward to and hope to. But let's look for a moment at that resurrection. John chapter 20. After what had happened to Jesus, and I think that that might be the biggest understatement I could say today, what happened to Jesus after he was slain, for us, There is not a moment in all of history that should cause more sorrow and more joy for us. It is quite a conflicting thing to consider what held him on the cross. But first let's look, and then we'll go back. When Mary Magdalene had gone to be faithful and to serve her Lord, even though it seemed like all things were done, Remember, all the disciples are scattered at this point. They think that it's come to a close. All these wonderful teachings, this man who was supposed to deliver them, was supposed to deliver the kingdom anew in Israel, was supposed to be salvation for them, to bring them to the Father. He died. He died, and they all saw it. He died publicly. Not murdered in some back room, but died before the entire country was seen, set apart from the camp. And all men knew it. And at this sad and desperate moment, And Mary went to go and serve her rabbi even after he was dead. Serve her master. It said that in John chapter 20, verse 11, Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, 
and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast lain him, and I will take him away. The faithfulness. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go and tell my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and to your father, and to my God, and to your God. What a moment. But I imagine that Mary, having had a life with Jesus on the earth, had a great many things that were brought to mind. Not the least of which was that this was not the first time that Jesus had been found outside of a sepulcher in a grave with someone that Mary truly loved. In this case, it was Jesus himself. But the time before was her brother, Lazarus. And Jesus said some things that I imagine came colliding into her memory at this very moment, like a freight train. Because how could you not remember standing outside another sepulcher where the same thing happened? Mary's sister, Martha, was waiting when Jesus said was to be coming. And Martha came out and met Mary. And Martha said unto Jesus, when Jesus had come from a long distance, waiting until Lazarus had already been dead, she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. But I know, even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. And Jesus saith unto her, thy brother shall rise again. Now, they had good doctrine, but not complete. Martha said, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. I know, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. That's true. But Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And hear her reply. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way. Now that's both joyous and sad. When Peter said the same thing, Jesus revealed where this comes from. He said that this is not from you. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Your thoughts alone have not done this, but our Father in heaven revealed this unto him. And you can see this same work working in Martha at this very moment. And yet... At that time, she went her way, and she left. And she sent for Mary, and when Mary came, Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him and fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have you lain him? And they said to him, Lord, come see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. It goes on to that glorious moment when Jesus says, take away the stone. And they said, don't, please, he is going to smell. At this point, he's going to smell. This is a very bad idea. You're going to dishonor his grave. You're going to dishonor his passing. And Jesus said unto her, said not I unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou should see the glory of God? Then took they away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. 
And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. And then we see the similarities. Mary, Mary who may have had an understanding of Jesus. Mary, who couldn't see him when he was resurrected. Lazarus was commanded that starting with his name, he heard the voice of God and became alive. And Jesus speaks out to Lazarus, and he rises from the dead. So the same, so the same, for if God should so desire to call out a name, what can that person do, though they be dead in sins? And speaking of death, what was the death that held him there? As the song says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. In Ephesians chapter 2, we can see exactly what death he had to taste for us. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so we begin to see the picture form of the great exchange. Now God had power over death, and yet God is just. And so there must be death as a necessary byproduct of sin. Just as if I was to pick up this glass and drop it, the force of gravity that God built into the world must require it to fall and crash. So justice must come down on the wicked ravages of sin upon the glory of God's creation. There must be a payment. And yet, and yet, we who should have been paying it, even now, who should be dead in trespasses and sins, who should have been like Adam in the day that he sinned, spiritually died. We who inherited his death and picked up, picked up our own, who continued to take sips after sip of the poison that should have been eternal separation from God. That is where we're found in Ephesians here, as we're being reminded. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, which is to say, lifestyle, in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God... But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say, and shall make us sit together. And has made us sit together in heavenly places. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And has there not been ages that have gone by? It seems like the time of Christ is ancient history. And consider the great work that the same salvation that was worked to Martha and Mary and Lazarus as those dear friends of Jesus is being worked now in the hearts of men in the same planet despite all the ravages of sin and the evils that have taken place for all the years. For by grace ye are saved through faith Not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. This is the work of God, Jesus said, when the people were asking, what can we do to work the work of God? Jesus said, this is the work of God, that ye believe in his name. This is not our work. And yet, and yet, for some reason he elected to teach us. He elected to call out. And so hear, hear the voice of your Savior. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The day of your salvation is nigh. It is now. 
Remember that all of us have a day of death, and we should ever keep it before our eyes. And remember that Jesus also had a day of death. He had a day of death, and he had that for us. Appreciate the messages that have gone before this morning, and uh, also appreciated very much uh, the, some of the points that Brother Chuck made, and especially emphasizing that faith is not what causes it, but the byproduct of our spiritual life is really, really good. The points that Brother Chuck made, that Brother John made, uh, Elder Aquino this morning. You can read each of the four Gospels and get uh, good information. You can be encouraged about the uh, sacrifice of Jesus Christ, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember when Brother Andrew Huffman preached uh, his first funeral, was actually at uh, Wilmington uh, many years ago. And the Lord just blessed him to, to preach such a wonderful message about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was his very first message that uh, everybody was so lifted up. It was Sister Martha Jennings, I believe, that, that uh, had passed away. And Brother Andrew preached such a wonderful message that uh, I went right up to him afterwards and I said, I want you to go ahead and put it down that I want you to preach my funeral when the time comes because I was ready to go home and be with the Lord. And when we hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it makes us uh, not want to stay around here all that much longer. We visited with Brother Sonny Bear, Brother Danny and I on the way up to New York. And, and uh, he said, you know, uh, he said, uh, I'm, I'm almost 86 years old. And he said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. In fact, I don't know why that God still has me here, but I'm not afraid to die. And for the Christian, there is a difference because the Christian is not afraid to die. Death is uh, not something that we we fear. I'm not signing up for it, but I'm not afraid of it. I, 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 in fact, if God blesses, it would suit me fine. If he still blesses me with a measure of mind and, and a measure of ability, I'd be just fine to, to hang on like uh, Elder Compton and hit the hundred mark and just keep on going. Or by the way, Sister Perry, who in a little over a week is going to be 103 years old and God is blessing her with a good mind. And uh, she says, uh, I know that God's kept me here for Linda and he's kept Linda here for me. And so Sister Perry has it right. And when Brother Sonny was getting a little bit discouraged about his affliction, and he said, I don't know why that God has still got me here because he says, I'm ready to go. And I was thankful that I was able to gather some scripture and encourage Brother Sonny that even though, Brother Sonny, you may not be here for your benefit, you're here for the benefit of your children and your grandchildren and those that are around. The Apostle Paul described it like this. He says, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Anybody can sign up with the Apostle Paul. Have you ever been in a straight betwixt two? The Apostle Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, I would much rather uh, depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But he says, it's more needful for you that I'm still here. So when you hear somebody say and ask the question, I wonder why I'm still here. The Apostle Paul gives us the encouragement right here that we're still here for those that are gathered around us. And so if God still has you here, uh, it's not an accident that you're here. God has you here for a purpose. And it may not necessarily be for your good, but it may be for those that are around you here. But for the Christian, we're perplexed because there is part of us that wants, like Paul says, to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. It is. 
Well, I like all four accounts, but I especially like Luke's. There's, there's uh, some, some accounts given in Luke that, that Luke gives that, that uh, Matthew, Mark, and John do not give. And, and you, can, you can read all four of them. It's really good to go through and read all four of them. And by the way, I'm so thankful that, that, we, that we celebrate the birth of Christ year-round. We celebrate the resurrection of Christ year-round. I'm thankful that at this time there is great emphasis placed upon the resurrection of Christ. But I'm thankful that we realize that truth. And our hope and our doctrine and our life is built upon the birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's look at a couple of verses right here for a few minutes. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus Christ is going to the Garden of Gethsemane. We sang this song, great, great song, great song. Many woes had Christ endured. Many sore temptations met, patient and to pains endured. But the sorest trial yet was to be sustained in thee, gloomy, sad Gethsemane talks about the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, it describes it here appropriately in this song. It says, the sorest trial yet. We had an attorney at our service this morning, a couple of attorneys, Brother Phil and uh, another attorney, uh, Brother Ben, that uh, is an attorney from Towson, brought his children, and they live up the road, and that was a great blessing. It was almost a surprise to see them. Uh, my mother said when I told her about having a six o'clock service, she said, well, do you think anybody will be there? I said, well, I'll be there. So thankful the Lord sent us some visitors along the way as well. My mother's always there to really encourage along the way. <laughs> she really is. There, my God, were all my guilt. This through grace can be believed. But the torments which he felt are too vast to be conceived. None can penetrate through the doleful dark Gethsemane. All my sins against my God, all my sins against his laws, all my sins against his blood, all my sins against his cause. Sins as boundless as the sea, hide me, O Gethsemane. Here's my claim, and here alone, none a Savior more can need. Deeds of righteousness I've done, not a work that I can plead. Not a glimpse of hope for me, only in Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane is the place where Jesus Christ went to pray unto the Father. And it was a, a, a place of torment. And I'll share with you what I believe that it is. There arose in, uh, in, uh, in Texas in the late 90s, and uh, a long time ago, some folks that thought that, uh, that redemption occurred in Gethsemane. I don't see that here. I see that it took uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ in bearing our sins. And if our sins were placed upon him, whatever point our sins were placed upon him, it took the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. It took the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Christ to pay the price for our sins. I don't know why God designed it the way he did. But he designed it the way he did. I know one thing, so that he gets all the glory and he gets all the praise. So in Luke chapter 22, he's telling the disciples to stand on guard, stay awake. They kept going to sleep and uh, he, he, uh, he continued to ask them to, to, stand, to stay awake. And, and each time he would go and pray, they would... They would uh, 
fall into a sleep again. And it says, and, uh, and when he was withdrawn from them, verse 41, about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Some may interpret that, that that cup is the suffering that Christ is about to face. That it's the torment upon the cross, that it's the crown of thorns, that it's the nails in his hand, that it's the mocking, that it's the vinegar mixed with gall that they give him to drink. And some may indicate and interpret that the suffering that he's referring to right there, Father, if you be willing, remove this cup, this suffering from me, that it might be that. And, and certainly that was horrible. But I believe that the greatest suffering that Jesus Christ did was when all the sins of the elect family of God were placed upon him because he was holy. He was righteous. He was sinless. He had no guile. He had no sin. And yet, not just my sins, that's, that's, that's enough of a sacrifice, just my sins. But he also took your sins as well. And he took the sins of all of his elect family. Not just the folks that are gathered here at Mount Carmel this morning. Or gathered in churches across Harford County. Or gathered in churches across the country this day. In a variety of churches. But he had placed upon him the sins of all of his elect family. And he paid the price for all of them. There's not a single sin that you've committed that wasn't placed upon Christ to bear. And so I can only imagine what the magnitude of my sins being placed on him. And as horrible as it must have been for the nail prints in his hand and the crown of thorns on his head and the mocking and giving him vinegar and gall to drink, it's, it's much more of a weight to have our sins placed upon him. And he willingly bore those sins. Now look at what it says right here. He says, Father, if thou be willing Remove this cup from me. I don't think that Christ uh, uh, was uh, was not willing to do what the father said, because we have the the next verse right here. Uh, I think Christ is saying if, if there was another way, but he was willing to be submissive to the father to bear the burden of our sins. And he says, he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't think there was ever any difference or division between the will of Christ and the will of God. But Christ is just declaring to you and I right here that the greatest thing of all is that the will of the father be fulfilled and that he's willing to do that. So he went as a willing sacrifice for you and I. 
So he goes into the garden and he's praying. And it says there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. In verse 44, and I tell you, I'm not a debater, in case you didn't know. That's just not what God called me to do. But I've heard debating about this right here down south. I don't know that it's still a topic of debate right now. But I think that it can go to an extreme on either side. It says, being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And it says his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. I've heard some folks say, well, it wasn't blood. Well, if you miss the mark of realizing that his sweat, that his agony was so great that it says it was as it were great drops of blood. The purpose of it is to emphasize the suffering of Jesus Christ. And if we we can dissect it to the point that we miss the blessing of realizing the, the, the weight and the burden of our sin being placed upon Jesus Christ. That it was so much that when our sins were placed upon him, when he, when he willingly was willing to go forward and to go through the sacrifice of the death upon the cross and willingly took our sins upon him. That it was such a weighty matter that it says that the sweat that he bore was as great drops of blood. If we say, well, it's not blood or I'm going to debate whether it's blood or not, we're missing the mark. The point being, it was an intense suffering. I don't believe redemption occurred right here in the garden. But I believe that Christ realized the weight of our sin to be placed upon him. So you can continue on through Luke's account and it talks about Peter denying the Lord. Anybody here ever denied the Lord? I'm so glad nobody can relate to Peter. Well, I have to tell you that I've denied the Lord. Anybody ever denied the Lord three times? Peter told the Lord, he said, I'm not going to deny you. Lord said, Peter, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me. It says that Peter denied the Lord. Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. And he comes down that Pilate and Herod, who had been at odds with each other, all of a sudden were in alignment against, uh, against Christ. Isn't it amazing how folks that um, can, can be united on a cause, uh, especially if it's a cause like this, that otherwise would not be. They uh, demanded that uh, Barabbas be uh, turned loose instead of Christ. And Barabbas was a a noted murderer and one of sedition. And and, and yet they declared that they wanted Barabbas to be denied, even though Pilate said, and and, and he declared, he says, I find no fault with him. He says, I don't find any fault. I don't see any reason to, uh, to crucify him. And, and Pilate at one point was even willing to, to release Christ. And, and they cried out. The, 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 the multitude cried out. The mob cried out. They cried out, crucify him, crucify him, the Son of God. 
It says that they led him away. And he led as a lamb to the slaughter to be offered. And then this perplexed me. As Christ is upon the cross of Calvary. He recognizes those that are calling out for his crucifixion, crucifixion. And Christ says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Now, I want to run over to John's account because I think it's worthy right here. I believe it's John's account. When. Christ is hanging upon the cross. And you know who was there in his midst, even when the disciples and his followers would leave and depart away from him. You know who was there? His mother. And on the cross of all the things that Christ could note or bring attention to. He brings attention to his mother. I'm paraphrasing this, but he commands John, who's there in the midst. He says, you take her and you care for her. I'm paraphrasing this. You can go and read it. If I miss some of the words, forgive me. But he said, you take care of my mother. And I think that's really, really special. Moms are special, aren't they? They are. Moms are going to be with you when nobody else is. Brother Charles, we were talking about this morning. What a wonderful mom you had. Now I ought to get some amens out of that. That sister Laura, she was all right. She was really special. A lot of special moms here. Jesus Christ looked down and he recognized his mother. Can you imagine the suffering that his mother was enduring as he was upon the cross of Calvary? And he said, behold, my mother. He comes on down and it says that uh, while Christ is upon the cross, there's two thieves on each side. And it, it, it describes here in chapter 23 about the mocking and they said, you know, he saved other folks. and He claims he can save others, he, yet he, he can't save himself. He says if he be the Christ, he could, he could deliver himself. Says the soldiers mocked him. Coming in, they offered him vinegar and says, If thou be the king of that, the Jews, save, save yourself. And it says that one of the malefactors which hanged railed against him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. We, we were talking about recently about uh, about the ungodly or uh, you might refer to it as the non-elect or those that 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 don't love Christ. There are some folks that they absolutely hate Christ. They wouldn't be happy with Christ. And here you have one thief on one side that was railing against Christ Both thieves were guilty, one on one side and one on the other. But yet you see a difference between the two thieves. And what is it that makes that difference? It has to be the grace of Almighty God and nothing else. 
It's not according to works of righteousness, which we've done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. And one of those thieves experienced the mercy of almighty God. And the thief on the one side was railing against him. And the thief on the other said, uh, he said, uh, the other answered and rebuked him saying, Dost thou not fear God seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? I ask you, do you fear God? Do you fear and reverence and respect an awesome and a powerful God? I tell you, I do. I really do. It motivates me to serve him more to know that I fear and reverence a holy God. He's got all power and he knows everything. He knows my thoughts. He, in fact, he knows what we're thinking right now. You may be saying, well, it's about 12 o'clock. He knows that. He does. He knows everything. And I fear it. I do. Because if I got what I deserved... It'd be much worse than what I'm getting right now. That's what mercy's called. We've experienced mercy because we don't get what we do deserve. And we experience grace because we get what we don't deserve. He says right here, this thief on the other side, he says, dost thou not fear God? He says, you ought to fear God whether you do or not. He says, dost thou not fear God seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And he says, and we are justly there. Did you know that grace teaches you your condition before God? It sure does. It taught this, this thief. He says, for we receive the due reward of our deeds But this man hath done nothing amiss. This is the conversation that's going on between the two thieves. And Christ is there in the middle. One says, uh, one is railing against him. The other one is saying, we're getting what we do deserve. And he comes on down and he says to the Lord, uh, what's the difference? The difference is that one was chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. That God planted his spirit within that individual. That God made him alive and he had a love for the Lord. That's what the difference was. Now, I don't know about the other thief. God could have planted his spirit in him. The last second that he lived, God's sovereign in that. And I'm just happy to let him take care of that. I am. That's not. He didn't call me to label sheep. That's not. I have hard enough time with myself. So this one on the other side said, he said, he finally quits talking to the other thief. He says, we're getting what we deserve. And then he turns to Jesus. And he says, Lord, would you remember me? He says, would you remember me when you get to your kingdom? Did you know your best hope is that he's going to remember you? It is. Look what he says. Oh, I love this. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, this is how Jesus responded. And it is not because it is not because the thief asking to remember him that Christ did this. He already had the spirit of God dwelling in his heart. or He wouldn't have asked him that he did. But here's some good news. I, I tell you what. I like good news. 
I told Brother Danny, I said, I don't mind preaching on depravity, but I said, I, I sure don't want to end there. Depravity is what we all experience. That's what we all deserve. But I tell you what, there's something far better than that. And here he says right here, and Christ says this. He says, Lord, when you get to heaven, I don't deserve it. In fact, I'm getting what I deserve. But he said, would you remember me? And Christ, in my Bible it's in red and I expect it is in yours. Christ said, verily, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now I tell you what. That helped me to understand. It wasn't his body that went that day. So what was it? His body was probably it was placed in the ground, but it wasn't his body that went to be with Christ that day. So what was it? It was his soul. It was that inward man. It didn't go to an area to be dispersed or a decision made at a later date. That very day, he said, and Christ said this. He said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Now, I'll tell you what, that's good news. I don't know about you, but that's good news to me. That gives me hope that he's going to remember me. Now, Christ went to the tomb. It just speed up. He was placed in the tomb. And Bray, you missed this this morning, and I'm sorry. So I'm going to tell you what, it, what Brother Steve said this morning. Brother Steve said something that was really, really precious, and I want you to have it and take it home with you. I got there at 4.50 and Steve and Tyler were already there. I don't know what time they went. They may have done like Sister Laura, gone the night before and spent the night. You know, she said that's what she had to do. But about 5.30, you could see the sun beginning to peak over the horizon. You could see the full moon over the trees. Brother Steve said, you know, Ray, this is precious. I want you to have it because that meant a lot to me. Brother Steve said, you know, can you imagine what Mary must have been feeling about this time of the morning when she was going to the tomb? She didn't know what to expect. And she gets there and the Lord's not there. About the same time, early that morning. So it's revealed to her. You go down through verse 24 and it says that. uh, It says on the first day of the week, early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing spices, which they'd prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. This is what she found just about that time. And it says they entered in and they found the body of the, they found not the body of the Lord. And it came to pass that as they were much perplexed about behold, uh, two men stood 
by them in shining garments. And they were afraid and they bowed their faces to the earth. And they said unto them, why seek ye the living among the dead? And, and, and here's the sum of all that we of all that we we hope for right here. They said, why seek ye the living among the dead? They go to to discover the body of Christ and the report is given that he's not here. It says he's not here, but he has arisen. Tells them to go and tell the disciples. He reveals himself to the disciples and Thomas was not there. And then he reveals himself again to Thomas. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe unless I see the nail prints in his hand. I'm not going to I'm not going to believe unless I see the scars. I won't believe that he's arisen. I want to tell you. I can't encourage you to believe on anything else. Other than Christ arose. I believe it. That's my hope. I don't have any problem believing that Christ arose and that he's reigning victorious. And did you know that because Christ arose we will arise as well. So I'm not excited about death. I'm not really signing up for it anytime soon. But I don't fear it. Because I know that the grave is not my final resting place. That it may be a holding place for a little while. But as Christ arose and is the first fruits, he's going to come back and he's going to take us on home to be with him forever. It begins with grace, it's all of grace, and it ends with grace. And so all we can do is just give him the glory for what he's done for us. It's all of Christ. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.